0: Welcome into the house here this morning, online audience. We give you a special welcome. Thank you for joining us today. You know, there's this uh, certain phenomena out there about this time of the year called yard sales, and uh, so this past weekend was yard sales in uh, Scott Green Development, where I live, and Penny and I found ourselves violating our commitment that we make every year never again will we do this, but we did. We did, so we had another yard sale Friday and Saturday, and uh, Help me out with this. Um, something happened. Like we knew we were going to do this, and then Penny, my wife Penny, uh, had to work both days. I don't know. You know, I uh, something in me says she requested to do that or whatever. But anyway. I was left alone to do these yard sales all by myself. Now I had some, you know, my daughter and grandkids came over to help a little bit, but so I'm there doing these uh, yard sales by myself. It, it was not bad, but yesterday morning was a little bit slow. So I was actually finishing my sermon uh, while yard selling. so if there's anything that comes out in my sermon that is yard sale language, uh, you understand. Things like, no, you can't have that for 50 cents. We're just open five minutes ago. Or half an hour later, yeah, you can have it for a quarter right? Day two, day two, right? May Make me an offer. And uh, 30 minutes after that was, it's free. Just take it, just take it, right? So, so that free part is about the closest I'll ever get to the gospel when it comes to yard sales, right? It's free it's free. One of the things we love to do here at Grand Point is talk about the free gift of God's amazing grace that just works for our lives so much so that he just pours it out over and over again. You know, you and I sometimes fall into this trap of thinking that we've got to work for it. We've got to be good enough. We've got to do this and that, but no, God's grace is for everyone regardless of who we are, what we are. It's free. We're going to celebrate that today and accept, uh, you know, God's gift of grace when it comes to this idea of worry. Now, I don't know where you've grown up or maybe, you know, where you've been, but, uh, or even what kind of stories your parents told you, but most of us at some point have come to believe in what we call old wives tales, right? Some stories that, you know, we thought were true and then later discovered maybe they're not like swimming after eating will give you debilitating cramps, Right? So I grew up in a uh, in the country. We had a uh, farm pond, right, where we swam in that and built these big diving boards and all kinds of stuff. And the neighbors had a pond and we'd all have this schedule. Like after lunch, we'd all go swimming, you know, at these places. And I can't tell you how many hours I've waited after dinner because of this idea that we'd get cramps if we go swimming too soon. Now we know that that's not really true, but there's all kinds of things like that out there. Uh, you know, if you swallow chewing gum, it stays in your stomach for seven years. Right? <laughs> Coffee stunts your growth. Eating carrots will give you better eyesight. Oh, y'all know the five-second rule, right? If you drop a piece of food on the ground, it takes five seconds before the virus will transfer to it. You know, so you pick it up. And, and then there's this one, this one also, and I grew up with this as well. Picking up a frog or a toad could give you warts. Now, I was always told, I don't know where this came from, if the frog, or the toad pees on you or whatever gives you warts. But So, so you know, warts, that, those things, those bumps on the frogs and toads are not really warts. Warts come from viruses. However, there's still this idea that if you pick up a frog, you know, they might emit some kind of a toxin or poison. So be careful. There's still people today that worry about picking up a frog or a toad and that it will give you warts. They're just worry warts. They're just worry words, though, they're not really true. You know, we use that term, a worry word is not just someone who worries, it's someone who worries needlessly without justifiable reasons. So welcome to week number two in our message series called uh, Questions That Jesus Asks. You know, all throughout the gospels, we find Jesus asking questions, lots of questions, not because he needed information, but he asked questions to kind of open up our hearts, open up the human heart, to expose what's in us, some of the needs that are in us that entangle us and just kind of keep us small in our faith or in our lives. Today's question from Jesus is, why do you worry? Why do you worry? Now, I've got, I'm not going to ask how many worry warts are in this room, uh, but it's estimated that there are 40 million Americans who have been diagnosed as chronic worriers. Just in case one of those or two of those snuck into this room here today or is watching online, this message is just for them, right? Just those worry warts. The rest of you can just listen in, right? Just listen in. But we're gonna talk about what it means, uh, what what worry is, and then maybe a remedy for that as well. Today's message is from Matthew chapter 6. It's a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he says in verse 25, "'Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life.'" You know the rule, don't you? Whenever you see that word, therefore, in the Bible, you're always supposed to stop and ask the question, "'What is that "therefore"? See, therefore is always, always comes after something major that Jesus just wants us to know. Something that Jesus taught us. What is it that becomes before that? And so what comes before this verse where Jesus says, therefore, do not worry about your life. Jesus is talking about the fact that you cannot serve two masters. You simply will either love the one and hate the other or you'll despise the one and hate the other. And then he gives an illustration. He gives an example by saying, you cannot serve both God and money. The very next verse after he says that, he says, therefore, do not worry about your life. Who would have ever thought that money and worry might go together, right? So now this is not a message about worrying about money. It's a worry about, it's a message about worry in general, but money is one of the things that we often worry about. You know, am I going to have enough? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? Am I going to be able to retire? You know, and all those things that sometimes introduce worry into our lives. A host of definitions of worry have been given, uh, and these definitions are attributed to various people, but all of them reveal a different aspect of our anxious thoughts. So here are just a few of those, and I love these because they also give a word picture. Uh, number one, someone has said this, worry is an old man with bended head carrying a load of feathers that he thinks are lead, right? Right? Uh, carrying uh, something heavier than than he really is. Number two, worry is like a rocking chair. Uh, It gives you something to do, but it doesn't doesn't get you anywhere. Number three, I love this one. Worry is the misuse of your God-given imagination. Worry is putting question marks where God has put periods. And the last one is worry is faith in the negative. Doesn't that make sense? Nothing really good coming out of any of those. But worry itself is is a concern over the future. We usually don't worry about the past, maybe some consequences of the past, but we don't often worry even about the present. We think we do, but it's usually associated with the unknown uh, future. See, one who worries looks to the future, but the problem with that person is twofold. First of all, the future is not here. And second of all, the future is not yours. It's not ours, it's something that God writes, it's something that God shapes. Now, according to the Bible, worry is concern over the unknown and uncontrollable future. Remember the day that Jesus met Mary and Martha? I tell you, if there's ever a poster child for uh, for worry, it's Martha. Uh, so, so here's the scenario. Jesus goes to their house, right? He shows up at their house. Uh, they're, they're good friends. So he shows up at Martha and Mary's house. And it says that Martha, this is Matthew chapter 13, Martha was in the kitchen. And she was busy preparing some food and some meals to serve Jesus, their guest. But Mary, her sister, is just sitting in the living room, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary gets a little frustrated about this, right? And she gets really upset and she comes bursting into the living room and says to Jesus, Jesus, tell my sister to come and help me. You know what Jesus said? He said, Martha, Martha, come on, Martha, Martha, right? You are worried and upset about many things. That's that's the story of many Christians. Many of us were worried and upset about many things. Now, I don't know about you, but let's just get this straight. We live in a world where it's very easy for us to worry. Can I get an amen? So all this stuff that's going on in our country today... Around the world, diseases, pandemics, wars, cultural shifts, sexual revolutions, and all of those things that are challenging and perhaps changing our future, if we allow ourselves, we can get consumed with worry about all the things that are happening around us. But I want you to know something. When we worry, when worry takes over our lives, it makes it very difficult for God's Word to have any impact on us. You cannot serve two masters. You're the love of the one, you'll hate the other. If worry becomes your master, you're going to despise God's word, Not maybe not intentionally despise God's word, but you're gonna, you're gonna put this aside. Remember when Jesus told the parable about the sower? He's like, okay, this sower goes out to sow some seed, and Jesus says that some of the seed, which is the word of God, falls on people's hearts, and when it falls on people's hearts, it, fall, it falls among thorns. And he says, these thorns grow up and they choke the word of God out of the heart. And then in detail in these thorns, also in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the thorns is the worries of this world. You allow the worries of this world to consume you, it simply chokes out the word of God. Jesus said when you get so caught up in this world and the worries in it, it takes you away from your ability to understand to hear and profit from the word of God. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, verse 25, therefore I tell you, he's saying this out of a great heart of love for all of us, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you eat or drink, about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in the barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Of course you are. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? This next verse is a little stiff, I'm telling you, but it says it right here. Jesus says it, For the pagans run after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Any more amens? Amen. Amen. Listen, all I want to do today is take this text from Matthew chapter 6. I just want to go back through this, and I want to show you some things that Jesus wants you to know about worry. Number one, Jesus, by the way, I'm, I'm borrowing this outline from Pastor David Jeremiah, who I think describes this very well. I'm going to change it a little bit from where, where he was. But number one, I think Jesus wants us to know that worry is inconsistent. Worry does not make sense at all. Now, I want you to think about this. So, I mean, let me explain this from verse 25. It doesn't make any sense. If God provided us with our lives, with our body, does it not make sense that he would also provide for the needs of that body? In essence, it's the argument from the greater to the lesser. If he provides uh, the great need that we have, which is life in this organism that we call the body, Right? And he does. You're all alive this morning. So he provided that life. If he provides that, will he not also provide the food for it? Will he not also provide the shelter for it? Will he not also provide the clothes for it? Of course, he will. He gives us, uh, he also provides for the lesser need. Listen, if you believe that God is your creator, it is consistent to believe that he is also the sustainer. If he creates something, he will sustain it. That's just who God is. So to worry would be to be inconsistent. Number two, the second thing that Jesus would teach us is that worry is irrational. It is irrational. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. So I picture Jesus out here on this mountaintop uh, in northern Israel, probably Mount Aramas. He's just speaking some basic truth to his disciples. And all of a sudden he sees the birds. He's like, look, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, they do not reap, they don't store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than the birds? And again, the answer is, of course. Of course you are. Now, if you bought into the logic of the first statement that worry is inconsistent, and you believe that since you have a life, God is going to provide for the needs of that life, or he's able to, I think perhaps the question, that sometimes comes up in our mind and that provokes worry for us is, yes, I know that God can do it, but will he? But will he? Because our experience is like, he doesn't always provide. So some of you, um, you know, you started a business, thought this was the right thing to do. You might even prayed about it. You started a business and it didn't work. It went bankrupt. You had to close it, and you're convinced that God did not provide. And some of you have been praying for healing for someone that has cancer, maybe yourself or somebody else. Man, you've even taken them to be anointed. People laid hands on that person for healing, and God did not provide it. They died. Some of you have been praying for children. Man, there's this infertility thing. You've been praying for children because you want to receive that blessing, but God has not provided been praying for marriages to be healed, to be made whole, to be restored, but it's getting worse. So what do we do with that experience? If God is the provider and if if he's given us life, will he not also provide for that life? It doesn't seem like he is. What do we do with that? And I think maybe that is the place where worry sometimes creeps in. Let me just give you a few points to help you with that. This is not in your notes, but it's something that I believe is very important for us to understand. That Number one is this. God may provide differently than what we expect. You need to understand that God, someone said it this way, God is working uh, 10,000 things in your life right now. You might only be aware of two or three of them. But God is working so much more, so many more details of your life that he is providing. It's just not in the way that you expect. Do you remember when God called his people of Israel out of Egypt, right? They're going out through this desert. And listen, one of the challenges of that, you know, taking that many nomads, right? Thousands and thousands of people out into the desert would be to provide food for them. But over and over again, we see God doing that in the Old Testament. He's supernaturally providing food for these people every day. And yet they're grumbling and they're complaining. And they're like, I wish we had this food that we had back in Egypt, Right, God is providing just not in the way that they want. They want God to provide in their way. And see, that's many of us as well. We want God to provide, but we want him to do it on our terms. And if God's not providing on our terms, we have this idea that he's not providing. But he is. He is just in better ways for us. And here's the other thing. God does provide, but he knows our greatest need is more of him, so he provides more of himself. He brings us to places where maybe our provisions would not allow us to trust him enough or to put our trust in him, our faith in him. He wants us to see him and know more of him, right? So he withholds some things from us so that we ultimately see more of him. But it's his provision for our greatest need, And the third thing, perhaps, is this. God's ultimate provision has already been given in the gospel. When you think about what God has already done for us, sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to pay the redemption of our sins, listen, that is the greatest need that you'll ever have, and God has already provided that. And one more thing that maybe will help us understand this, because, again, in our minds, God's not working. He's not providing I don't know if I can trust him. I I, kind of doubt that. the, The other thing is, listen, God provides finally in eternity. My goodness, this life that we live is so fleeting. It's like a vapor. It just comes and goes, but eternity is forever. God is preparing you for eternity. And that's where your provisions will be realized fully. Only then will we know how God has been working all through our lives, all through the details where it looked like he wasn't. But he is. We've got to believe that. Now, here's the thing. This story that we are looking at right now from Matthew 26, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. He's, he's, he's making a point going from the lesser to the greater. If God is providing for them, he is also providing for you. In the first verse, he goes from life to clothes. In this verse, he goes from the birds of the air to the human being. And he's saying, if God Almighty provides for the birds, don't you think that he will provide for you? Doesn't that make sense? See, that's that's really the only rational way for us to see this. Otherwise, we become doubters. We become uncertain if God is who he says he is. We question him, and that never, never works. Now, thirdly, Jesus would say to us, worry is not only inconsistent, it's not only irrational, but in verse 27, he'd want us to know that worry is ineffective. It is ineffective. This is the rocking chair definition. Right, it gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere at all. In fact, he asked the question: Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Of course, the answer is no. If you want to live longer, right, you you can't, and you worry about that, it's not gonna happen. Now, if Jesus would ask who of you can subtract a year from your life by worrying, we might have something to talk about. Because worry by itself is devastating. It's it's it brings a negative effect on our bodies. I actually believe that there's probably cemeteries all over the place that that have people there five to ten years earlier because they worried themselves to death. Right? Worry is not a healthy thing at all. In fact, it drains you. It drains you from your life. One of the reasons why you don't want to worry, according to Jesus, is because it doesn't do any good. It doesn't make any difference. How many of you know that when you worry about things that are going to happen tomorrow? You also ruin today. You also ruin today. See, worry doesn't rob tomorrow of its sorrow. It robs today of its strength so that you lose both today and tomorrow when you worry and you don't accomplish anything at all by doing it. That's the reason of Jesus. It's inconsistent. It's irrational. It's ineffective. And then in verses 28 to 30, we learn that it's illogical. There's no logic at all when it comes to worry. Verse 28, he says, Why do you worry about clothes? See how they uh see how the flowers of the field grow? And again, he uses this illustration from nature. They don't labor, they don't spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was not dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he not, not clothe you, you of little faith? Now, the argument that Jesus is using is this. Just look around at nature. Look at the flowers. Look at the fields, man. Look at the forest. Look at the landscape, which is here today and gone tomorrow. If God cares that much for the grass and the moss and the leaves and all those things that are out there, will he not much more care for you who are eternal? You need to know he gave his son for you. And he gave his life for you. He paid the price for your eternal redemption. Does it make any sense at all that God would take such incredible care of the lilies of the field and then let you go without any concern? No. He didn't give his life for nature. He gave his life for you. You're so much more valuable than that which is out there. And God takes care of nature, so he will provide for you. It's the only logical way to think. Now, the final reason that Jesus gives for not worrying is a little bit, little bit hard. And this is where I'm going to deviate from that nice little illiterate outline that's in your outline there. And this is hard, but I'm just, just want to remind you, I'm just taking this right from God's word this morning. Jesus says, worry is not only inconsistent, irrational, ineffective, and illogical, but it's also not Christian. Hang on for a moment. Let me explain this. The verse says, do not worry, saying, what should we eat or drink? What should we wear for the who? Pagans Pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now, your Bible translation might say Gentiles, but Gentiles is translated in pagans. What Jesus is saying is that when we worry, we simply forget who we are. We forget that we're children of God and we act more like the pagans the people who are the pagans often worship gods, gods that cannot see. They don't see what we need. They can't hear what we need. If they could see and hear, they couldn't do anything about it. Right? These idols, inanimate objects, right? They're just they can't respond. And 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 Jesus would say, and Jesus says this: when you worry, you act like God is simply an idol that, that can't see your needs, that doesn't hear your cries for help and, and your needs, and, and doesn't know what you need. He says you're acting like, like a pagan. Jesus says don't worry because when you, act, when, when you worry, you're, you're acting like you're not a Christ follower. You act like you don't know me or understand me. Now, let me ask the question very quickly because some of you are squirming in your seats right now because you're Christians and you worry. So, so here's the question. Does that mean that as Christians, we never have momentary moments of worry? No, absolutely not. I think we all worry. Listen, Penny and I raised three kids. We know what it's like to worry. Yeah, we know what, you know, you go through all those stages of life where it's like, whew, you just don't know what they're going to turn out to be. They're, you know, this behavior is not not what we thought it would be. And then it comes to the teen years. We wonder where they are and are they coming home and who are they going to hang out with and all those kind of things. We worry about that. But listen, when we worried, we didn't stay there. Whenever we worried about our kids, or right now, my practice is when I worry about something, I don't want to stay there. I, I can visit worry, but I'm soon, I'm going to deal with it. I'm I'm going to I'm going to move away from it. And there's ways that I'll show you in a moment. But some people not only visit worry, they move right in, and it becomes a lifestyle. It's all that they do, they, it consumes them. They worry, and they worry, and they worry. And then when they don't have anything to worry about, they worry about that, right? Now, let me just get quick to, to the answer here. I want you to see how tender Jesus is with this. Jesus comes along in this text, and he says, hey, I just want you to know, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. Whatever it is you're worrying about. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. And he's saying when you worry, don't let worry become your lifestyle. Acting as if you don't believe that your heavenly Father knows, that you, have the, that, knows that, that, that you have need of the things that you need. He knows that. So Jesus says the way that you face worry, and this is what we've all been waiting for, right? Here's how we face worry. Is you sit down for a moment and think about what worry really is. It's inconsistent, it's irrational, it's ineffective, it's illogical, and it's not the Christian way. No, it's not, it's not what we do. Worry is dwelling on the future that you don't have any control over, and spending all of your energies thinking about what might happen tomorrow will leave you no energies to deal with the issues of today. Now, in the last two verses of this text, Jesus reminds us of how we're to deal with this giant called worry. He tells us in the last two verses, there are two things. Number one is this. If we're going to face, if we're going to face this giant, if we're going to win over worry, uh, there's two things that we need to do. First of all, we need to develop, develop a system of priorities for our lives. Notice what Jesus says in verse 33, but seek what? First. That's a priority listing right there. If you're going to put something first, that is your priority. That is the most important thing for you. Jesus says, seek first. Now, remember, this is all within the context of worry. Jesus now says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things that you're worrying about will be taken care of. They'll all be given to you as well. Much of the worry that destroys people is the worry of a divided heart. In fact, that's what the definition of worry is. It means to be divided, a divided heart which cannot decide for which it is going to live. Is it going to live with all the worries of this world, or is it going to live with a trust in our Heavenly Father? It's interesting that this passage is right in the center of a passage in the New Testament that that deals with personal possessions, and Jesus is saying, first of all, what you need to do to fight against worry is to get your system of priorities in order. Get your priorities right. Set down what you really believe, what you're committed to. And he tells us, here's how we go about it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Perhaps one of these things, one of the things you can do if, if you're ever in, if, like if you're a worrier, sit down sometime and look at what it is that you're worrying about you're gonna discover your priorities. You might even discover some idols, things that you're putting more trust in, things that you're counting on to, you know, it might even be yourself, right? If you're worrying about what you're going to do, how you're going to do something, perhaps the idol of self is on the throne of your life. Jesus would say, no, seek me first. Let me be in the throne of your life and I'll take care of all those other things. Seek first the kingdom, of God. Develop the system of priorities. Now, let that be the lens that you look through into every area of your life. And then just understand when you do that, all the other things will be added to you. What is the first thing that you do in the morning? Where are your first thoughts? What is the first activity that you do? Is it God or is it you? Is it God, or is it your list? Is it God, or is it the problems that you're facing? Seek first the kingdom of God, make him first. Put Him, uh, put, put him as the priority. Th- does any of you here know that that works? Have you experienced that at all? You don't need to raise your hand or anything. I'm just kind of asking, but hopefully you do. Hopefully you can say amen to that because that is true. When you put God at the center of your life, when you make him the focus of your pursuits, then you can enter into life with an exuberance and, and you don't have to worry about all these what ifs on the other side because you know that you've settled the big issue. You have put God first. Now the rest of it's going to work out. God's going to take care of the other issues that come along. It's a very sad thing to see how many of God's people kind of push God off to the side. And listen, that's what happens whenever you worry. You're pushing God off to the side because when God's at the center and you know that and you've committed to him, you won't worry. I I know this sounds too simple. Sounds too easy for me just to say this because it's so much harder to live this out, but it's so true. Listen, seek first his kingdom I suspect that sometimes people worry because it's a worry that's born out of the realization that they've violated their priorities. You know, we know that it should be this, but we're like living this. And we know that, and we become worried that we might never be able to be what God wants us to be, and that worries us, and it becomes a cycle that we can't break. Listen, the first thing that you need to do if you're prone to worry is just step back for a moment and say, How have I ordered my life? How did I order my life today? What's the most important thing to me? I just wanna say something to all of our amazing youth, young adults here at Grand Point Church. Man, we love you guys. And listen, if you're about to enter into a relationship, another relationship, I, I can't stress enough the importance of this principle. Put God first at the center of that relationship. And when both of you do that, it will save you a lot of things. Uh, down the road. Listen, we all need to get a system of priorities that's based upon putting the almighty God first. And when you do that, you'll discover that putting him first, that he'll put you first in dealing with some of the worries of your life as well. Now, the second thing you need to do, and that's found in the very last verse of our text. And of all the things that I've ever read about worry, This may be the most important and most critical thing for all of us to do. You don't only need a system of priorities, but number two, you need a strategic program. Let me explain. Here's the program, verse 34, and i watch carefully. Jesus says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, listen carefully. No one ever sank under the burden of today. But many people sink under the burden of today when they add tomorrow's burdens to it. That's too much for you to bear. That's too much for us. All Jesus wants from you is to live this day, one day at a time. What the Bible is teaching us and what Jesus is telling us that we need to learn how to live in daytight compartments so that every day is what we face. It's not that we don't plan for tomorrow. It's not that we may not have concerns about this or that, but we don't live there. We live today. I love the sign at the gas station that says, free gas tomorrow. (laughs) Tomorrow's always moving. Tomorrow is always fleeting. Today, he'll give you the grace that you need for today. But don't ask for God's grace to be used up with tomorrow's problems because you'll have enough grace tomorrow for what you need Now, that may not mean that you're able to dismiss the thoughts of everything else, but listen, you just don't dwell on them. Just don't dwell on them. You don't let those things eat at you. Don't let them consume you. You just know that when tomorrow comes, when you get out of bed and get started, God's grace will be sufficient for that day. And if you can learn to live like that, listen, you can make worry go away. So what do you need to do? What Jesus says is this. This is the strategic program. Don't worry about tomorrow. Take each day as it comes. Give attention to what God is doing right now. Don't worry about the future. That's not irresponsible. It's just the way that you can deal with it. I want to leave you with one last thought this morning, and I think this will be an encouragement to you. It's something that you might just want to stick in your notes or at least hopefully in your heart. I'll, I'll, in, in a few moments, I'm going to give you the seven most important words to deal with worry. But before we do that, I want to kind of lay a foundation for that by using some other scriptures. This is, this is amazing. Listen to this. God would say to us in Psalm 50, verse 15, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. That is a promise. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. First Peter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And now let me go to the seven seven words that I want to leave with you this morning. This is from Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Now listen to this. Here's the result. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds, exceeds anything you can understand. It's what we want, it's what we desire. We desire to live with this peace in our lives. And listen, some of you right now can't even imagine peace in the midst of what you're going through. You can't even imagine peace in the middle of the circumstances that you're going through right now. You can't even imagine peace when we face the future that we have to face but you can, an incredible uh, under, peace that you can't understand. It, it's ours, you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand and his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The most important words for would-be warriors are, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. To so my friends, if you do that, you'll face the giant of worry You're gonna win every time, every time. God, I just wanna pray over this this audience right now. I don't know if there's any worriers in here. My guess would be that maybe this message wasn't only to be preached to me, maybe someone else benefited from it. (laughs) But God, my prayer is simply this. I, I know it almost sounds too simple that we would just trust you and not worry It's kind of a principle though that works. So teach us what it means to truly believe, to truly trust in you. Not just say that we do, not just with head knowledge or voice, but with a belief that settled deep in our hearts. It's not about us, but it's all about you. God, teach us what it means to trust. In your name we pray.